Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. It is Tiger Woods week here in the golf world. Yes, in the first week of December, as Tiger Woods returns to the PGA Tour, it is essentially Tiger Woods week. As we embark as viewers on this next and possibly even last ride in the Tiger Woods saga, I want to take a step back and look back on the person that Tiger Woods once was. 20 years ago, Tiger Woods was a 20-year-old. He was a three-time U.S. amateur champion. He was a newly minted professional and was already a two-time PGA Tour winner. It was at that point in December of 1996 that Tiger Woods was crowned Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. Let that sink in for a second. That a 20-year-old who just started cashing professional checks would be named Sportsman of the Year during the primes of guys like Jordan, Favre, McGuire, and Sosa. Renowned sports writer Gary Smith would write a profile on Woods. It was titled, The Chosen One. And now this week, with Sports Illustrated naming its 2016 Sports Person of the Year, 20 years after Woods earned the award for the first time, I think it's a good time to unpack what Tiger Woods' Sportsman article actually means to Tiger Woods the person. It is a really, really great piece of sports journalism. There is so much of it that people can learn from a journalism perspective as well as a golf fan's perspective, which is why I'm excited because joining me today is the writer of the article himself, that's Gary Smith. Gary, thank you for taking some time out of your day. Is, is this a story, the story about Tiger Woods that you wrote in 96, is that a story you think about uh, nowadays at all? You know, I don't really, once in a while, since, you know, Tiger's hit the wall, uh, some people have brought it up and, you know, kind of raised the question of how it, that, that all played out in, in, in light of that story, and so that's about the only time it really comes into into consciousness. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it has been 20 years, uh, but in, in regards to the article, I kind of want to start at the beginning did you know that you were writing the Sportsman article, or, or is do you know how it landed at your desk? I think they had already come to the conclusion that he was going to be Sportsman of the Year, and uh, as I was embarking on that story, maybe I think it was before I even started on it. So yeah, I, I was a pretty uh, had a pretty good idea where it was going. Now, what is the goal of the Sportsman profile? Like, is there a goal that you try to accomplish? in profiling the, the young 20-year-old Tiger Woods? Uh, as far as Sportsman of the Year, that has no bearing on how I approach a story. I just kind of go in there and try to learn everything I can about the person, and it would make no difference whether it was just a regular, long narrative piece I was doing or, or that it happened to be Sportsman of the Year. So uh, anyway, I was really just going there to try to learn all I could about him and see how what I could, what could be said and shown that uh, demonstrate the life he led and who he'd become and how that happened. Yeah, and at that point, um, as anyone in the golf world knows, he had just recently turned professional. So I feel like no one had probably done a huge, huge deep dive profile on Tiger Woods. Was that the case? Were you kind of the first person, do you think? I'm trying to remember. I, there hadn't been much done. I don't. I don't think there'd been anything done of that length. I could be wrong, but I don't remember uh, there being a lot of real long in-depth stuff. I'm sure there'd been some longer pieces done, uh, but yeah. that might have been uh, 
the longer piece. Yeah, Charles uh, Pierce would would write one for GQ in the months that would follow. Now, your article, you begin and stay for much of the article with Tiger's father, Earl Woods. You lead with, It was ordinary. It was oh so ordinary. It was a salad, a dinner roll, a steak, a half potato, a slice of cake, a clinking fork, a podium joke, a ballroom full of white linen tablecloth conversation. Then, a thick man with tufts of white hair rose from the head table. His voice trembled and his eyes teared, and his throat gulped down sobs between words, and everything ordinary was cast out of the room. He said, please forgive me, but sometimes I get very emotional when I talk about my son. My heart fills with so much joy when I realize that this young man is going to be able to help so many people. He will transcend this game and bring to the world a humanitarianism which has never been known before. The world will be a better place to live in by virtue of his existence and his presence. I acknowledge only a small part of that and that I know I was personally selected by God himself to nurture this young man and bring him to the point where he can make his contribution to humanity. This is my treasure. Please accept it and use it wisely. Thank you. Blinking tears, the man found himself inside the arms of his son and the applause of the people all up on their feet. Anyone who understands Tiger Woods nowadays, and even then, would know that Earl is such a, an important part of the Tiger Woods story. He was a larger-than-life character, and uh, pretty soon, you know, especially with tar- Tiger just being 20 years old or whatever at the time, uh, you know, the arc of his life had, there wasn't that much storyline and ripples and wrinkles to it. Uh, the, the, it, it was the, the father's piece of it really was the more intriguing part of it. So, uh, he was, you know, kind of a lifeline for me as a writer. Hearing what he had to say and this huge vision he had for Tiger really made the story interesting and unique and from, from my perspective. Oh, yeah. I mean, to for anyone that can should go back and actually read it, you, you see so much of what Tiger's decisions that he made, especially at that time, influenced by his father. And Earl Woods was... He made. He said some pretty amazing things about Young Tiger, that you documented very early on in the article, uh, just about him saying that it goes beyond sports, comparing him to some of the most influential people in the history of the world, and you describe Earl as like you describe him as one hell of a cocktail, you know. I think in the article you go, he's part Chinese, Cherokee, African American. He's part intimidation, tenderness, warmth intelligence, stoicism. Was there ever a point where you just thought that this guy is almost hysterical with what he believed his son could achieve? Well, it felt like it was really out there. I mean, I'd never heard any, really any father of anyone, let alone a father of, a, of an athlete, talking in, the, in, the, in that dimension of, you know, seeing their son as playing this world-changing role, a transformational you know, figure as a, as a kind of a chosen one, really, the words he was using. Um, and so here was a young man with a lot on his plate, uh, just in the golf realm, but to ha- have this second layer added in of a tra- transformational figure for 
all of humanity yeah. was really uh, took the story to a different place. And um, so it was almost impossible not to explore it through the lens of that that piece of it, for me at least. Certainly. Now, from what you can remember, I know this is 20 years removed, his mother, Caltilda, is only in the article in snippets. And I'm curious, was she just not nearly as vocal as Earl Woods? Was she not as accessible? And what, what was her influence that you felt? Yeah, that was really, I mean, she was just in this very reserved, quiet, seemed very kind person. But, you know, very much more reserved and not the flamboyance and the, all the big charisma and they got the person struggling to figure out life the way Earl was. So there was just a lot more grist and material um, coming from Earl's side of it, but that's not to say that mom didn't play a huge part in Tiger's upbringing and um, the quiet balance part you know, seemed to be coming from her side of it more. Yeah, I mean, from from what I read, I reread the story again this morning, and it, it I don't want to use the word perfect, but the balance that you say that, that would be struck between his mother and his father, it, it did seem almost script. Uh, but I think the major theme, besides just his parents and, and how they shaped Tiger Woods' young life, the theme that you continued to return to in the article was a question. It was who will win, Tiger Woods or the machine? And for those who don't know the article, in this dilemma, what is the machine? Uh, the machine is kind of media and fa fame, really. Just the, the machine of fame in America and what it does to a celebrity, what it can do to a human being, um, especially in an age when it, media was just in explosive growth and finding new platforms and and to have a, a father with a vision that his father had laid out for him how the question became for me how could tiger stay in touch enough with his own humanity to play this transformational role as a humanitarian globally um entering a world where celebrity and fame can just grind you down. And and so that became the big question. A father with his big vision going into a world with such, uh, well, it can be blood and soul-sucking uh, uh, the qualities of fame. And um, how could that, how could a kid... <laughs> navigate and negotiate through through that eye of the needle to the other side that his father foresaw. When you take it with that lens, it feels as though you have some sort of sympathy for Tiger Woods, the 20-year-old. 20, 20 Was that the case, that you felt like, like Tiger almost is ready to take on what's ahead of him but might not exactly be able to win or might not be ready for it? Well, there was, you know, some compassion for that. Um, that's a lot to have on your plate. And, yeah. um, and in some ways, you know, you sense the Tiger really just wanted to go out and kick butt on the golf course. And 
and do what he could to be helpful. And he, he was involved with stuff to help kids a lot. So he wasn't shunning that at all. But um, it wasn't, it wasn't at that age. And who, what 20 year old kid could ever take that on at that age? It was just hard to picture how he was going to fulfill what his dad was laying out there. And I, you know, there was a sense of, wow, this kid, it, it, this could be really a tough spot to be in if you really feel the need to live out your dad's vision. In the article, you write, He rests for a week, stunned by the criticism. I thought those people were my friends, he says. He never second-guesses his decision to turn pro, but he sees what he surrendered. I miss college, he says. I miss hanging out with my friends, getting in a little trouble. I have to be so guarded now. I miss sitting around drinking beer and talking half the night. There's no one my own age to hang out with anymore because almost everyone my age is in college. I'm a target for everybody now, and there's nothing I can do about it. My mother was right when she said that turning pro would take away my youth, but golf-wise, there was nothing left for me in college. He reemerges after the week's rest and rushes from four shots off the lead on the final day to win the Las Vegas Invitational in sudden death. The world's waiting for him again, this time with reinforcements. Letterman and Leno want him as a guest. GQ calls about a cover. Cosby, along with almost every other sitcom you can think of, offers to write an episode revolving around Tiger. If only he'll appear. Kids dress up as Tiger for Halloween. Did anyone ever dress up as Arnie or Jack? and Michael Jordan declares that his only hero on earth is Tiger Woods. Pepsi is dying to have him cut a commercial for one of its soft drinks aimed at Generation Xers. Nike and Titleist call in chits for the $40 million and $20 million contracts he signed. Money managers are eager to know how he wants his millions invested. Women walk on the course during a practice round and ask him for his hand in marriage. Kids stampede over and under ropes and chase him from the 18th hole to the clubhouse. Piles of phone messages await him when he returns to his hotel room. Why, Tiger asks, do so many people want a piece of me? It sounds like he's such a grown 20-year-old, but he still seems super green. Is that the Tiger that you met? That you Did you feel like he was still very green? You know, I, he was, at that point he was portraying such a, a, a poise and composure, and like I can handle all this. Um that he wasn't showing a lot of vulnerability to me at that time. Mm-hmm. There was, an, uh, I think, a real need at that, such a young age to be thrust into that position to to exude a sense, I can handle this, I can control it. But, you know, there were a few examples of the story where it was getting to him, all the, the hands grabbing at him. But overall, Tiger's need to be in control was also already very powerful and was, was the predominant sense that, I, that I, I got. And that's certainly something we've grown to believe in Tiger Woods. Later on in the article, uh, you'd have Tiger saying that he didn't want to be the king of endorsement money and that athletes aren't as gentlemanly as they used to be and that he liked the idea of being a role model to children. It's really easy and, and quite unfair to use hindsight against him and call him a bit of a liar in 2016. Was there ever a point where you thought, wow, this, this family, this kid, it's just, it's just bizarre? Well, I thought it was very rare and 
unusual that his father was putting it out. There's that vision for him. And that is such strong words that it, you know, might be wiser to let that happen more <laughs> instead of verbalize it so strongly just for, you know, Tiger's sake. Um, so it was, it was definitely a very unusual and unique slice. I, I'd never seen that happen and wondered how that was going to play out. And one of the aspects of the article that is super important was the cultural ramifications. You reach that in probably the last third or the last quarter of the piece. You give it a lot of weight, and I appreciate that, and I think it shows a lot about the state of America, the state of golf in the 90s. Tiger and his father were hounded by acts of racism, and they were oppressed many times by people who just couldn't stand the sight of other people of color, uh, much less in a country club. Was it difficult in mid-90s to to grasp that, make sure that you included that? Because it, it was a, a absolutely vital part of the Tiger story. It really wasn't that hard to, to go there. I mean, um, Earl, his father, was quite open in talking about it, and Tiger didn't wear that on his sleeve so much, but when you came to him with direct questions about examples, he, he, he would talk about it. Um, so, no, it, to me it was so obvious. What was uh, I mean, that was what was such a big part of what was driving him to be this monstrous celebrity was the fact that he was of this mixed race, an incredible mixture of races, um, and walking on into the, at that time was a you know virtually all white world, and and not only walking into it but just taking taking charge of it and being so compelling for for that all white world, and that they were jumping right on the the rocket ride there. And um, cheering him on, yeah, for the most part, by by far. Just a couple more questions. Uh, how much time did you spend around Woods? Like, where did your reporting take you to where you were right next to him? That you were, you were right in the middle of the the Tiger Woods tornado, so to say. Um, you know, over to his uh, to a home. He was living in at the time in Florida, um, talking to him there, talking to him at country club, a couple several times, restaurants. That kind of that was kind of where most of the interviewing was taking place. Did you feel any of the um, the cultural ramifications of race? Did you feel it at tournaments or or around him at all? You know, I. I visited a tournament. I, you know, followed him around a tournament he was competing in at the time, and at a dinner or banquet that he was at. Um, and it was really, at that time, it was just all there was a lot of love and admiration from people uh, of, of races that weren't his race at, at the time. He was riding high at that point and getting a lot of love from all sides. That's very important, and we're going to end with that because that's how you end your story. The last two paragraphs read as follows. For when we swallow Tiger Woods, the yellow, black, red, white man, we swallow something much more significant than Jordan or Charles Barkley. We swallow hope in the American experiment, in the pell-mell jumbling of genes, 
We swallow the belief that the face of the future is not necessarily a bitter or bewildered face, that it might even one day be something like Tiger Woods' face, handsome and smiling and ready to kick all comers' asses. We see a woman, 50-ish and Caucasian, well-coiffed and tailored, the woman we see at every country club, walk up to Tiger Woods before he receives the Haskins Award and say, when I watch you taking on all those other players, Tiger, I feel like I'm watching my own son. And we feel the quivering of the cosmic compass that occurs when human beings look into the eyes of someone of another color and see their own flesh and blood. Now, please stop me, Gary, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you're trying to tell people, believe the damn hype with Tiger Woods because he has cosmic implications. Did you believe the destiny or the hype back in 1996? Um, no, I mean, that, maybe that, that ending can uh, tilt one to, to, to see it that way, but I was, what I was saying is that there's, there's a big change even when a, a, a culture has drawn into taking that step. But it, it may not well be this huge, or probably won't be this huge vision that his father laid out but that something significant occurs just even with that, when a, people who are only accustomed to exposure to their own type and kind are pulled into a situation where they're suddenly cheering for someone like he's their own son, that that matters, not maybe on this world-changing level that, uh, that his father was talking about. That's a pretty good way of wrapping it up. Thank you very much for joining me and jogging back at least 20 years worth of memories of a story you probably haven't thought about in a long time. From Gary, I am now going to welcome in my colleague Jeff Ritter, and we're going to spend a little time deciphering what Gary Smith was able to give us 20 years ago and see kind of how it holds up today, as well as for the future. Jeff, after you reread this story, incredible story, what were your first impressions kind of going back to something that was 20 years old? Yeah, I read it. A, f- a few times over the years, that was the first time I'd read it and probably maybe since right around uh, the time Tiger's sex scandal dropped. That was probably the last time I read Gary Smith's story. Um, and by the way, happy Tiger Week. Yeah. Oh, it's I mean, great. It's a beautiful <laughs> it's thing. It's fun to have Tiger back. Uh, the first thing I thought of, I, I enjoyed your conversation with Gary. Um, obviously, all the stuff with Tiger's dad is like a reminder of just how how big of a role his dad played and that really that relationship between tiger and his father was the foundation of everything that happened afterwards. There was one thing that uh, also struck me that um, you didn't get to in your conversation with Gary that also I think speaks to the evolution or the, the changes of tiger through the years, obviously the the whole man versus machine analogy that we know what happened with fame Mm -hmm. and tiger woods, but there was a part in there, there was a passage where Gary Smith wrote about how Woods uses the power of visualization in his golf game. Yeah. How when he would see, when he would have to play a difficult shot, he would just focus on the flag. And I'm not getting the exact words right, but he would he would start with the flag and work backwards and see the tree limbs he had to hit under or the wind direction. And he would sort of go back and paint this picture. And it was all feel. And, and the way he describes, the way Gary Smith distri- describes Tiger's process, you read that and, and think, this is the ultimate feel golfer. This is a golfer who, with the greatest feel, uh, just a prodigy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of feel and, and what he can uh, just with his mind's eye get his, his body to do and to create the swing that he needs. And I was struck by that. I, I 
seeing what Tiger was then to what he is now, uh, spending all the time on the track man and, sense, and wo- worrying about his trage to borrow one of his favorite, yeah. you know, to borrow a Tigerism, uh, he's become uh, by all accounts extremely technical, and you can see it in his press conferences and even you know the limited glimpses we get in the press of of his thought process about his game. His evolution from there, from Gary, from 1996 Tiger, uh, you know, see the shot, hit the shot, to crunching the numbers, and and I, I was struck by it. I I didn't realize that until I read Smith again, just just how far Tiger had evolved with his golf swing. It is fascinating because I mean we've seen what Tiger is now is so different from what he was in 2010, 2005, 2000. It kind of makes sense. I mean you see. In, it, in 2016, all you see is highlights of the guy and what he used to do. Yeah. And you see a guy that was transforming what we thought golf really was as a sport and what it took to succeed in the game. It is very interesting to, to hear about who he was because there wasn't as much in 1996, 1995, there wasn't as much footage of the guy and how he played golf. If, he, if, if that kind of feel player was playing today, we'd understand what his vision was so much better. Yeah, I mean there are there are feel players out there today. I think the the best example I can think of is Bubba Watson. You know, with the way he won his first Masters, hitting that hook shot, uh, he kind of took the mantle of the ultimate feel player, which maybe was maybe was up for grabs as Tiger's become more technical uh, and struggled over the years with his game. And kind of you know the last obviously since 2013, he's just been trying to find it. So. Yeah, I guess media has changed a lot. We know more about all athletes than we ever did in 1996, and that's that's part of uh, that was another thing that struck me about your interview with Gary is that, you know, when he was researching his piece with Tiger, he didn't really see any deep profiles done on Woods at that point. He was a three-time that's, U.S. Amateur champion. That crazy. would never happen today. You know, even even in a, a, a golf being a niche sport, there's no way that type of greatness would not be extensively profiled before that point in his career where Gary Smith got him. So it's certainly a different media landscape to now than it was back then. Yeah, it, it is true. The The machine that Gary uses incorporates into the story so much. It's this combination of fame and media and how they kind of work to work against a person and against their normal instincts and against, against what they have been for so long. And that starts so young nowadays. I yeah. Mean, the Tiger Woods profile that was written in 1996 would not, like you said, would not have been the first, it, or would not have been the first major one. Tiger would have been profiled, I think, in 2016, he would have been profiled at like age 10, yeah. age 12, age 14, playing, winning his first USA. Like, there would have been uh, this onslaught that didn't quite get to him until 96, and then before you know it, he's a master champion, and then it's like, boom, everything's hitting. There's this GQ cover story. Um, I think it's a cover story from Charles Pierce. Right, yep. Another, another remarkable piece of journalism into what Tiger Woods was like at age 20 and at age 21. Now, this machine, as Gary calls it, um, do you think it won? Did the machine win, or did Tiger Woods win? Uh, I, I guess I think, at, I think at this point won. he is he – is fully tangled in the machine at the at this point in his career and his life um however I, I would say for a long time tiger did have his way over the machine and despite all the pressure 
really in Gary Smith's story, the pressure's coming from his father. You know, his, fa his father is the greatest, in a lot of ways, pressure point in Tiger's life is this weight of expectations. And here's a dad who's, who's uh, trained his son for this moment, his entire his entire life everything everything is built up everything comes from dad and you know over the course of tiger's career not long after gary smith's profile really the media um takes hold and and tiger no longer goes anywhere in life anonymously he is you know an a he's more than a golfer he becomes an a-list celebrity because of his unique background and the way he wins not just you know he's playing in a country club sport all the reasons you talked about with gary smith tigers celebrity hits a level um that's i don't think has ever been achieved by a golfer it's certainly not since maybe arnold palmer but when you factor in all the new ways and uh, media coverage happens he's he's a new level of, of celebrity golfer he's a celebrity yeah um and so i think i think despite all that it's remarkable that tiger achieved what he did before the machine finally got him and it's very e it's very easy it's very obvious to say it's it's the sex scandal is really the line of demarcation where all of a sudden his fame hits a new level um where it's not just sports celebrity or sports star it's it's tabloid, tabloid curiosity and that's that's when that's when you enter that machine uh, uh there's no escaping that yeah it's pretty funny now the idea of a golfer celebrity is pretty few and far between. Cody Gribble was on the podcast a couple weeks ago and said his uh, college teammate, Jordan Spieth, is a celebrity. You're going to get mentioned in the same sentence when you succeed as Cody Gribble did a couple weeks ago. Tiger's rise to, to, to become a champion and to take on the machine and to become this golf celebrity, I think there's, it, there's ways that it helps and hurts the PGA Tour young stars of today. You know, Gary Smith said that Tiger, he felt the need to be in control at 20 years old, and it was already palpable. It was already very powerful that Tiger felt yeah. the need to control everything around him, and his dad obviously helped out with that. Do you see parallels between that type of control at such a young age with Tiger Woods and some of the ways that sports stars are, for lack of a better word, coddled and in control and um, making making sure that they're okay with everything going on around them at all times. Um, maybe a little bit. I get you had Tiger creating, trying to trying to take control or create a world around him where he could succeed, and so he built this inner circle, um, which not long after that story included Butch Harmon, for example, was was in for a while. It was his dad, and you know. A pretty small, tight inner circle that helped Tiger perform the best that he could when it mattered the most. But uh, I don't know. I it's it's his career is so unique. You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that Tiger Woods is the reason why Cody Gribble, for example, is is has an entourage or has his own inner circle or is so hyper aware of what's written about him or, or, you know, how he's perceived by the world. I just think Tiger was this unique phenomenon and there was never a story like him before. And there, there never will be a story like him after. I do think that there's going to be some parallels to how people control their brands based off of what Tiger Woods did, because he came, oh, that's a good point. He came into the, into the popular media 
when it the internet was kind of first starting to boom, when golf was being broadcast on TV much more, and he realized the the marketability of being the best athlete in your sport in the world and yeah. having a Nike star or a Nike swoosh across your chest and just everything that goes along with like owning your your brand and social media is a big part of that too and Tiger was away from social media for a long time but I think that there are certain people Jordan Spieth comes to mind with this tight inner circle sure he only goes certain places with certain people has his own foundation his own foundations event I think that there's a lot of things that that people are taking from from the Tiger Woods experience and trying to make it their own. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I guess now that I you say that, it makes me I, I realize that Tiger may not have been the reason athletes think about brands. I you know that's a byproduct of social media, but I think Tiger Woods helped change what a golf brand for a player, what what a player's individual brand could look like as a golfer. For example, just Tiger Woods made golf cool. All of a sudden, Nike is a player, a big player in golf, and it's because of Tiger. And golfers who really the, the whole discussion of is an ath- is a golfer an athlete, <laughs> it was not really a, even debatable in the 90s it, until Tiger arrives at the scene and is physically fit and dominating. And then you see other guys become, you know, in, into the sort of the athletic part of the sport. I think Tiger changed what a golf brand or what an athlete as a golf brand uh, looks like today. Yeah, and and also um, Tiger Woods probably changed how athletes handle themselves uh, in their inner circle. I think that I don't think that that's the way that um, that Tiger Woods he didn't create the inner circle of people around him, but he certainly showed what can happen when there are only a few people around you and you shut off the world, mm-hmm. and then some of your, um, maybe for lack of a better word, inner demons or your, your not-so-public yeah. traits. It's a cautionary and, tale, too, yes, for, for athletes today. Absol- absolutely. At the age of social media, you know, the, the stories that surfaced of Tiger, Tiger's uh, antics, of the kind of mid-2000s of sneaking around and doing the things that he did, in this age of social media, it's uh, that's a cautionary tale for any you know celebrity golfer, any athlete, anybody in the public eye. Yeah. Now this whole podcast has been a really good look at Tiger Woods 20 years ago, Tiger Woods 15 years ago, even five years ago, Tiger Woods now, and I, I kind of want to think about Tiger Woods in the future. He's 40 years old. He's going to be 41 at the end of December. He's going to be really in his probably his last final ride of professional golf on the PGA tour. Not sure how long that ride's going to last, but Tiger Woods, he, he, like we said, he's a brand now and I'm kind of interested in where he goes in the elder statesman role. He feels a little bit more open to be being that guy. He doesn't feel like the stone cold killer, the, the we're chasing every single major and we're going to be able to compete at every he doesn't yeah. feel like the he doesn't feel like the competitor he used to be he might still be the competitor it just he feels like it's more of a after golf forecast for him i'm interested what do you think of of where the tgr brand is going like does it feel like he's trying to become the fourth guy on the mount rushmore of golf behind arnold palmer gary player and jack nicholas 
I think he's already there uh, for for starters. I, I agree with you that it seems like we're getting uh, signs of a, a kinder, gentler Tiger who's transitioning into a, a different role in the game. Uh, no greater example of that than his role he took on at the Ryder Cup and embracing it fully, the role of assistant captain. However, I'm not ready to just say that to, to say goodbye to the end of steely competitor uh icy press conferences uh, I, i'm not ready to turn the page on that yet because he hasn't been in competition yet yeah it's easy to I, I think this is an interesting week you know his return to the bahamas what's he going to say the first time he takes a microphone is he going to talk about um is he here to win is, what are his goals why did he come back you know, I, I would love if I was in the press conference, I, that's the question I would I would want to ask is why? You know, you could have re- he could have retired after two back surgeries and no one would have um, thought any less of him for it. I mean, it's that's a debilitating injury. It's probably the most difficult industry injury a golfer could overcome. There's no shame in stepping away, especially with all the struggles that he displayed on the course in 2015. I mean, the, the chip yips and everything else was all just falling apart. Had he walked away, he's still a 14-time major winner. His legacy is is what it is, to use his term. But yeah. So what motivates him to bring himself all the way back at age now almost 41? I've got to think that there's still that fire in him that uh, was instilled by Earl Woods and that we learned about really for the first time in Gary Smith's story, that he's still that same in some ways, that same 20-year-old kid who just wants to go out and just destroy the competition. I have to think it's still in there somewhere. And so even though you know, we see the signs that he's transitioning to this new phase, I'm not sure if he can come back and stay healthy for a while and start playing well again, that we might see one last great ride of you know, this, this fiery competitor the old for lack of a better term old school tiger yeah i think both you and i we got into the golf writing business like well after his last major we've been at multiple majors when the story has been will tiger woods show up what will tiger woods do was this his last walk across the swilkin bridge yeah you were there at st andrews for that like we have been in this industry for long enough to realize how important he is yet not see the importance of his dominance uh, actually in person. So I I think that that is beyond that, what you said about why I kind of want to understand who he's fighting for, like who he's returning to. Is he, is there someone he wants to prove it to? Is it himself? Does he want to prove to himself that he could still do it? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of things that happened in 2015 that proved that he couldn't. Right. Not still do it. Does he want to prove it to his kids? Does he want to prove it to media that have berated him over the past couple of years for not being a golfer? Does he want to prove it to the young guns on the PGA Tour that, hey, I was once here atop the mountain that you guys are atop right now, and I can still get back to that? Who does yeah. he want to yeah. prove it to? I want or to, to himself. Yeah. Or to his it. fellow competitors in the locker room. Or to the memory of his late father. I don't know. I don't know what motivates him to spend – you know, 16 months healing, recovering, and then getting back to the grind and trying to trying to bring himself all the way back yeah. from 
the bottom from I believe 898 in the world rankings this he is, week. He is 898, and he is in a, he is in good fortune because if he finishes the tournament, he's going to jump about 150 spots in the world rankings just by finishing 18th out of 18 at the Hero World Challenge. So. Yeah. I, I think my best guess, I don't know if Tiger, I don't know if he'll be asked that this week, and I don't know what kind of answer he would give, but I, I think reading Gary Smith's profile, that's where I find the best answer as to why. And it all goes back to just the way he was raised, and, and he was just, this is what he this is what he knows. This is who he is. And uh, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see where he is now, and I can't wait to see how this all unfolds from here. Well, we can leave it at that. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Golf.com podcast. Thank you to both Gary Smith and Jeff Ritter for joining. We will wait to see where this Tiger Woods train continues to take us. If you like the podcast, let me know about it on Twitter at Sean underscore Zach. That's S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zach. Thank you.